All right, it's time for another episode of Wrestling with Sports. Dimitri Young, myself, Dennis Farrell, Jason Kindle. Guys, I cannot wait to introduce you guys to a guy named Jeffrey Scott. He is one of those people that I've I've shared a hotel room with, a car ride with. We've he he is one of these guys that has been in some amazing situations of wrestling. You won't know his name, but Every time I see him tell a story, I see people, I see big name wrestlers all crowd around in a circle just to listen to this guy tell stories. And when Petey Williams and myself did a podcast, we would try, it seemed like every week, to connect with this guy, to have him come and do a podcast with us just so we could tell stories. And Petey, I mean, he would say the same thing about Jeffrey Scott's storytelling abilities is phenomenal. And I can't say enough nice things to put this guy over, and I'm glad that I finally got the time to connect him. And he's a massive baseball fan, so I had to. I ended up having to put together a podcast with two former baseball players just to get him on. So, guys, meet Jeffrey Scott. Jeff, how you doing, man? And, and I think number one, I apologize. You had to ride in a car or, and stay in a hotel with Dennis. Yeah, but um, yeah, don't. That all being said. And don't ever introduce, don't ever start an introduction by we shared a hotel room together. It's the very first thing you say. It sounds really creepy. I mean, yeah, you know, that, that, was a good, that was a good entrance right there. I was like, yeah. oh, really? Well, <laughs> I mean, do, do explain. <laughs> you might be getting a whole new demographic on this podcast if you keep talking like that. At this point, I'll take it. I really, you know. Well, I, I will say this the behind the scenes people. Um, and I can go into the baseball part of it, the, the, your clubhouse guys, your, you know, the, the TV crew, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the ones that have the good stories. Those are the ones that make things work. So it's a pleasure to talk to you. And, and thank you so much for coming because without you guys, there's nobody else. Trust me when, and Dimitri can, can, uh, back me up on this without the behind the scenes, there's nothing. Well, I appreciate that. I've been doing this for like 27 years now, uh, running shows, uh, event promoting, selling tickets. And then from there, it just naturally turned into, you know, being an announcer, being a referee, being a graphic designer. It's whatever they need is what I do. It's just make yourself as available as possible and take on as many jobs. Make sure that you're the guy that can wear as many hats as possible and just make yourself known that you're reliable and hardworking and you'll always have a spot somewhere to do this kind of stuff. Jack of all trades. Yeah, you know, you know, you being a, a jack of all trades, like you just mentioned right there, you know, how would you, and, and this is, I'm a, I'm a wrestling nerd, been watching wrestling forever and, and been, been backstage at various events with impact or TNA, you know, WWE and, and how, 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 if a new wrestler was to come in, you know, this is from my own general knowledge, how, how do you bring, like, if he was going to be, like, a superstar and you want to bring him up, you want to build him up to, to be a champion, what are the, some of the steps that you do as far as preparation for that particular wrestler, especially a young one, like a early 20s? Yeah, it's funny because um, we have our wrestling school here in Windsor. It's called the Can-Am Wrestling School. It's Scott Demore's school that's the school that rhino graduated from chris saban alex shelley bobby Roode, gail kim the list goes on and on and uh the school's been around since 1993 and right around 
2003 is when we really started training people for stuff uh, other than wrestling, teaching uh, up-and-coming students about how to act backstage around other people, how to dress, how to be professional, how to be places on time, how to even uh, stuff like how to prepare your own meals for the road. Uh, just being a professional. Like there's a, very, there's a lot of wrestling schools out there, but there's very few schools that teach you how to be a professional professional wrestler where you know i mean if you look at their track record we have a very good track record about how like how professional our students are and just by teaching people like chris saban and stuff on how to act in front of a camera how to what the terminology is uh in tv terms as far as you know hard camera and you know the producer and the director and all these different things a lot of these people come into this completely sides like just blown away by the production end of it and it's really a lot of it is teaching these kids how to just be professional around other professionals and how not how to keep yourself out of trouble how to save your money there's a million things that you can teach uh kids nowadays that wasn't being taught before a lot of the wrestling business even the the generation before i got into it a lot of that was you know, figure it out for yourself and you'd try to find yourself a mentor. And if you could find one person that would give you that advice, you'd take it. But now the way the business is now, you can turn to almost any veteran that's been around for years and you can learn something else about anything you want in this business from anybody. I mean, there's people who have had completely different experiences that I have that can teach you completely different things than what I can. Before we get into uh, the stories, which that's uh, unbelievable, Jeff, you, Jeff's one of those guys you tee him up and you sit back and you just listen to him talk. I cannot wait. I can already tell. I, I have to ask uh, Scott Demore, who has I wouldn't use the word single handedly, but he's put together an amazing team of people to help turn it, TNA into impact around into a major force again in the wrestling industry. When it's all said and done, because I, I say this because I've I've got to hang out with him. I've eaten dinner. We, 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 you know him better than I do. But in, far, in wrestling terms, what do you think his legacy is going to be when he finally steps out of the wrestling industry? Because I think he's one of those guys a casual wrestling fan may not know, but they also may not know that what they're watching a million times over, whether it's in Impact or Ring of Honor, he's had his fingers on something some way along the way in those companies. Yeah, if you look at uh, when he took over TNA in 2004 till about 2006, if you look, that's the, what a lot of people consider the golden age of TNA. The whole, when he introduced uh, Team Canada, Chris Sabin, the Motor City Machine Guns, Rhino, all those guys, and even the Knockouts. That's when the Knockouts division really started taking shape with Awesome Kong, Gail Kim, Angelina Love, the uh, the beautiful people, all that stuff. That's all from you know the Scott Demore era of TNA. And if you look at what's happened since you know the beginning of 2018, the, the end of 2017 with him and Don, it's the same philosophy they had in 2004, just brought to a 2020 type. Um, you know, to to this day and age. So, what was really what we what there really wasn't a lot of in wrestling in the mid two thousands was women's wrestling. So then they said, well, let's focus on women's wrestling. And a lot of the the other thing people focused on a lot in the mid two thousands was the big guys, the Undertakers, the Stone Colds, these giant humans. So these guys decided, let's push the X division and see what we can do with a with a different style of wrestling. Give people something. 
if you go, if every restaurant in town only sell, sells hamburgers, why can't we be the place that sells chicken sandwiches just to give someone a different bite of something to eat <laughs> once in a while? You know what I mean? Wow. No, that's that's actually like a, a that's the way you just answered. That's unbelievable. Um, th- this will be the last question I kind of ask because I, I I just know that you're an unbelievable storyteller. But kind of to, to add on to what Dimitri said was, and I know in baseball that part of it. When you see a wrestler, a younger kid like Dimitri said coming in, do do you instantly know athletically wise? Like, is he like far and above the rest? Because I know in baseball, you, hey, okay, you know, a kid over there playing short, he's he's gonna be something. Or so is it kind of similar to that when you you guys are watching these kids go, and then all of a sudden somebody just takes off with it, and you instantly know. Well, you look at it like a guy like Rhino came into our school, and instantly you, we knew, okay, this guy's going to be a star because big kid, good head on his shoulders, smart, athletic, uh, doesn't, like, if you tell him to do something and he does it wrong and you say, hey, you did that wrong, the next time he just does it right. And there's some people gotcha. who just do it wrong and keep doing it wrong. But then there's other guys like Petey Williams who uh, came to the school and was told, you know, you're not a very big guy, so don't expect too much out of this wrestling business. You may wrestle on the weekends for $25, but that's about all you're really going to get out of life. And if that's fine with you, then take it. And Petey said it was fine with him, and he turned it into a pretty good career. Four times, I think, in a row, the finishing move of the year in wrestling. Like, who... Awesome. Like think about one move. You come up with one idea for a wrestling move, and it becomes the finishing move of the year, three or four years in a row. Like even the Frankensteiner, I think, only got two years in a row, and the Canadian Destroyer got three or four years in a row. So he took something. He made had that fire in him. It's about taking what you have and making that the focal point, and distracting away from what you don't have. So he's only you know five 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 six whatever he is but you can't tell by the way he moves around inside that ring the way he built up his body stuff like that there's a million ways you can cover up you know height with talent and with bulk and with there's a million ways to do it absolutely you know i noticed a lot of parallels between wrestling and baseball and, and jason i know you was listening because you was talking about the upbringing that's like when you get a guy that goes professional and going through the minor you know they they have former big league coaches placed in each spot just so not only teach you what to do on the field but how to conduct yourself off the field especially for Jason and I we came out of high school and it was like hey you can't just go out there and just run out run a muck all times of night and stuff you gotta stay in do this prepare yourself to get up there to the big leagues so with saying all of that is there any like one guy, like like you said with Rhino, is there uh, any guys that you are, like kind of gravitating to, kind of grooming to? I think you kind of expl- you cut out a little bit at the end there. Oh, is there like uh, a, is there a, somebody a younger... that you're grooming? Is what he said to, to to kind of take that you know this guy has it. But yeah, the thing I think uh, Dimitri, what he's saying too is like 21 years old and you're young. And kudos for you guys for, like, teaching these guys about handling the money, handling their – I mean, is that what you're saying, D? I, I think I can hear yeah, him like, now. Like, like something like, like the, the Rascals, for instance, like like those guys or or um, who's, who's the other group that I like? Um, 
I like the um the, the uh Raju. Raul. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, yes, I, I I like him. I like what he's bringing to the table, especially since he broke off. And of course, Moose is my absolute favorite. I I love Moose. Yes, because the thing with wrestling is it's usually around the seven year mark. Seven to ten years is when you really catch your groove and you either sink or swim, I think, with a lot of people. Because by then you've had a chance to work out all the kinks and you kind of find yourself and you find your style and you find what works for you. And usually around that point, and that's the time where people are just really, you know I mean, even think about if you started at 18, by the time you're 25, 26, 27, that's like athletically a nice peak for you to have, mentally a good peak to be in. So if you can, if you can be hitting your full stride at that age right there, I think you're doing better than almost anybody else. Not to take away from people who start at 35, but I mean, if you start at 18 and you have 7 to 10 years to really work out the kinks, by the time you're 26, 27, 28, you're hitting the ground running with WWE, Impact, AEW, whomever. That's when you should be really be out there making your money. That should be your... Hey world, this is me for this year is one. It's that and by prime. the time you're re-signing, you should be telling the world, "Give me that money. This is what I. This is what I've proven. This is what I can do." And you should know who you are by the time you're signing that second contract. And with and, and, and with decide if they are heel or a face. Is that strictly to fans, or or do y'all decide that? A lot of it is the talent themselves will want to know, like will will ask whether they want to be a heel or a face, and you can tell sometimes by their style that you know maybe the person is what they consider is confident comes off to everybody else as cocky. Then you, you know what I mean. That person would make a good heel, but if you see there's a guy who like every day before the show starts, he's out in the line meeting all the fans kissing babies, shaking hands. He's one of those kind of guys, like a pure, you know, white bread, you know, USA baby face like that. Then you can really see, you can push somebody because you take the natural, because there's people like Sammy Callahan who are just naturally standoffish, quiet guy, very intense, very focused. And that comes off as very standoffish and very much like a prick. So like people can, it's easy for someone to boo somebody like that on TV but when you see somebody like a Petey Williams, who's like a white meat, like I know he's Canadian, but he's been living in the States long enough, if I can say he's a white American, he, you can see why people enjoy being around Petey and how people can flock to him and see why he's such a baby face, whereas you can see why someone like Sammy Callahan is a heel. And you get someone like, uh, if you guys have seen Chris Bay, who's just signed with him yes. the last couple months, it really, took, it really took him a couple, like a few weeks to really see what's working for him. He tried doing a little bit of baby face, tried doing a little bit of heel. And I think he's one of those guys where it's, like I said, it's 2020. So you have these characters who are, you know, traditionally would be assholes that people kind of gravitate to or think you're kind of cool because not only does he do all this stuff, he has a little bit of an attitude about it, but the stuff he does is so cool. Yeah, you kind of have to cheer him. Which is very different from like what you would see in like 1986, where heels were heels and baby faces were baby faces. Now we have these people who are, and you see it in everything. You see it in sports. You see it in rap, where like one guy's bragging about how he's got two million dollars. A guy like me, that's offensive, and I think the guy's an asshole. 
But to other people who look up to him, they think, fuck, I want to be like that. I want to make that money. I want to be that guy. So they look up to him as a hero. So you can see how that dynamic works for both ways. Yeah, Dennis, I know you have a million questions to ask him, and I'll shut up oh, for this one, time. I promise you. Jeff, I'm the one that talks a lot. Um, just to give you, like, that was interesting as all can be to me right there. Like, Dimitri asked, he'll know him. What about like a guy like Seth Rollins? And, and I'm just using this because this is, you know, the WWE. He could go out tomorrow and right. become a good guy. Right. And then the next day he can become like, how do you guys work? Because he obviously he's very, very talented. But it's right. amazing to me when I watch, like, oh, he's a good guy now. He's uh, with Triple H and he's Triple right. H's little whatever. And then next thing you know, he's a good. Can you tell, like, Instantly, with like just watching somebody that is, there, there's a guy right there that I know can change instantly. Do, do you see that guy? Yeah, we see a lot of those guys because, like, like I said, you get a lot of people who are just really, really nice guys, or you'll get people that are real big assholes, and no matter what, and those guys are notoriously either baby faces their whole life or heels their whole life. But if you can get a guy who can turn it on back and forth, flip it on back and forth. Like a guy like Eddie Edwards, for example, he can play that lunatic heel. And then the very next day be the loving husband, father character. And then going back to <laughs> get hit in the face with a baseball bat and being a heel again, trying to kill Sammy Callahan. Like it just, he's just a guy who's just so talented, no matter what way, like you just tell him what you want out of him and what you need out of it, and a guy like Eddie Edwards can take that ball and run with it like nobody's. And a lot has to do with the way you speak, world. too, right? Pardon me. A lot has to do with the way you speak and handle yourself with a right. mic. Yeah, exactly, and that's it. Just comes with time. Like I think Eddie Edwards has probably been in the business for I don't know, Dennis. You probably know better than me. He has to be in. 15, 20 years in Easily. the business at this point. Easily. And you've only really heard of him the last 10 years, maybe. Uh, seven? I think right. that's fair. So, and if you really want to get, if it's when he got hit in the face of the bat from Sammy Callahan, people really knew about him. The, yeah. And if you notice, he was just playing wrestler guy when he was teaming with doing the American Wolves. And he was just like generic, short hair, long tights, good wrestler, hey, you know, when you leave the matches, you leave the matches saying, hey, that tag team match, wow, that thing was amazing. Those guys were amazing. You don't ever say, wow, that Eddie Edwards was amazing. Or you say, wow, that match was fun. I enjoyed that match. Those guys were fun. Then you get guys like if Eddie was fighting Tessa in the main event for the world title, you'd walk home saying, man, Eddie Edwards, that guy's great. So I think he's really taken what he's done and made it very main event level where people remember, they'll, they'll say the words Eddie Edwards out of their mouth when they leave that building as opposed to, wow, that match and the, that second match, the tag match with those guys, which is what you hear all the time from you know casual wrestling fans. They were entertained, but they don't really know who anybody is because they just don't have a character. And a guy like Eddie is always out there, always grooming his character. Even if a guy, if you look at a guy like Willie Mack, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have been watching yes. the pay-per-view. No, uh, Willie Mack. Even with no crowd in there, you watch Willie Mack, the way he looks at the camera, it's the same way that when we're live, the way he looks at the fans, and that's what gets people. But he just instinctively knows, okay, there's no fans here. I'm going to look at the camera the exact same way I would usually look at the crowd. And I'm sitting on my couch, and I feel what he's trying to get me to feel. And I'm 
and I know the guy, and I know what's going on, and I still have those feels for it. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's really cool. Instinctively, he's another guy who's just, wow, like, who knew who Willie Mack was two years ago? I certainly didn't. And now that you work, now that I've worked with him and seen what he can do, like, for a big man, he's bigger than me and Dimitri, and he can still do moonsaults and flips <laughs> and everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, Matt Stryker called him me on um, Lucha Underground. He says that Dimitri Young doing that moonsault. And I was like, oh, yeah, look at me getting some pub. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but um, you, you mentioned, um, you said tag team when you were talking about Eddie Edwards, and I, I love tag teams, and, and y'all have perhaps the best tag team that's out there right now, and that's the North with, with um, Josh Alexander and Ethan Page. I mean, I enjoy watching them wrestle. And, and Alexander, he's got moves, man. Oh, my God, I enjoy watching them. Those guys are legitimately I in my my favorite tag team right now. I love those guys. I love them personally. I love them professionally. If you knew these guys outside of wrestling, they're very they're very passionate about their craft. They're very passionate about like their look. They they're meticulous about all the every little nuance, even down to the way they what they want to do for their entrance, what gear they're going to wear, every little nuance of their character. And did you guys see the thing they did this week on TV where they had the open challenge where anyone from Canada could, uh, yeah. And they beat up. Yeah, those I saw last rounds. Yeah. So, uh, I had a part in uh, producing that. In fact, when you see the opening, you can see me in the background. Unfortunately, I was in the one shot, but maybe that maybe it was accidentally on purpose. <laughs> you should be know. in every shot. Yeah, exactly. So, you know yeah. what? I will remember yeah. you if you look like Susie. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I love that stuff that Impact does. The skits like that, like the non-wrestling, kind of like what they call now, what's been deemed a cinematic style, what they did with, you know, the Boneyard match, mm-hmm. and what they did with, like, the Firefly Funhouse, where it's wrestling, but it's not within the confines of a ring. It's more of, like, a movie. And I see now with the way the pandemic's been, the way that people have been trying to be creative and trying to come up with new ideas and stuff, like, this idea with the North was just something that we bat- we battered around, and Ethan Page just grabbed a hold of it, and he he wrote the majority of it. He edited it all together. Like, this is the talent having an idea and going with it to the management, and the management saying, let's do it, and giving him an opportunity. So he grabbed it, and he went with it. And we've got, like, we're filming again tomorrow something else. I won't spoil it, but... The next few weeks are going to be really funny. The stuff that we've got planned with the North coming up, and I think you guys will really like it. And you can find it on Access TV. Ooh. Plug. Yeah. All, all right. Listen. And by the way, Jeff, at the end of the show, you and I get a chance to nerd out and ask these two guys questions. So come up with some some players of the past that you want to know some dirt about. Because look, we're about to do that to you and have you tell us some stories about wrestlers. And since these guys have played on multiple teams, it's almost like six degrees of Kevin Bacon with these two guys who have almost been around every baseball player in their era. They've got some great stories about some players. So just, you know, run some players you may want to know about in the back of your head. I want to start the storytelling off with probably the first story I ever heard you tell. And I don't know how you got to point B in your story, but can you talk about how you were one of the Undertaker's druids? Ah, sure. It's a really, it's actually one of it's a very cool story. So, um, Dream, Tommy Dreamer was in talent relations at the time, and it was like whenever they go to a different town, like if they're going to Survivor Series was in Detroit, 
he's told, okay, we need 10 extras there, you know, five to be dressed as cops, five to be dressed as druids, or three cops and 10 druids and two, you know, uh, they need a limo driver and they need a lawyer and a whatever. So they'll, they'll hire, let's say, 12 guys. And once you get there, they'll look at you and say, okay, you're going to be a security guard, you're a security guard, you're a druid, you're a druid. So uh, we showed up there, uh, Dreamer booked the whole, like there was like 10 of us. There was going to be six druids and uh, four um, security guards. Is this 04 or 05? This is 05. Is that the one yeah. you were on, Dimitri? 05 Survivor Series. Yeah. Dimitri. In Detroit? Yeah. Dimitri yeah. was the first ever yeah. guest on the, uh, what? I had a, yeah. Uh, with Edge. You know, In Detroit? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably where I met you then, because I was one of the druids that I was one of the druids because Undertaker had come back after nine months. Randy Orton won the match, and at the very end, we brought the casket out, and Undertaker came out, and it was in, covered in flames, and he booted the lid off the casket. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So was he was so there with his boys, though. He was there with his kids. That's the beauty about it. That's oh, that awesome. Was so and it was the that's yeah. exactly where you met him. That's crazy. So the best part about that whole story was, um, so the day that the day of that was November twenty seventh, two thousand and five, which is actually my birthday. And the ironic part was in nineteen ninety one, at the exact same building, on my birthday. So at Joe Louis Arena on November twenty seventh was Survivor Series, and that's when Undertaker beat Hulk Hogan when Ric Flair slid the chair in and he tombstoned him on the chair. I was in like the sixth row, and I saw Undertaker uh, beat Hulk Hogan for the belt, and I had my Undertaker sign held up over my head. And twenty, whatever it was, twenty-five years later to the day, or whatever, or fifteen years later to the day, I'm a druid for Undertaker at the same building, the same day. Wow! So it was so super cool. So we had to do about seven or eight dress rehearsals that day because there was fireworks and fire involved in it. So I remember uh, we had to bring the casket out and tip it up, sitting up, and then we had to bring it back down. Then they had to bring it out, tip it up, light it on fire. And then they wanted to do it once with Undertaker in the casket. So we're all just standing there in our Druid outfits, and Undertaker's just laying in the casket, and we're all just standing around just staring at him. And you're kind of like marking out at the same time because it's like Undertaker's laying there in front yeah. of you. <laughs> So we're all we're all just standing there going. <laughs> so Undertaker looks at us and can tell we're like nervous as fuck about this whole thing, and he just says to us, you know, so are any of you professional druids? <laughs> we're all. Just kind of, <laughs> That's beautiful. Oh, so uh, when you're bringing the when you're bringing the casket out, there's uh, ca uh, camera cables and all these wires that you know we had to go over when we had the. Uh, you know, the casket, and the casket's on wheels. But the wheels, the diameter of the wheels was no bigger than the actual camera cable, so you had to literally pick the casket up by the handles and lift it over the camera wires. So we're all just kind of standing there, and uh, the, the pyrotechnics guy comes over, and right in front of everybody, and Undertaker and everything, he says, okay, so how did that work out? And everybody said, fine. And he says, okay, we're going to do it one more time because Vince wants to see it. And just <laughs> putting the lid on the casket, he says, and don't forget, guys, 
don't lift this thing by the lid because if any oxygen gets in there, he'll burn to death. So I look right at his face to see what he thinks about that. You know what I mean? And Tinker's looking uh... at us. We're the assholes that have this guy's life in his hands. <laughs> I'm not the guy who's going to be lifting the seal on that thing. Do you know what I mean? It was Damn. Good. And then we went out there and did it, and everything came off of like without a hitch. And it was like, I don't know, it was just a cool moment to like as a kid to be there and see Undertaker. And then 15 years later to be like, help the Undertaker come back in the same building was really neat. It was like a nice marked out moment for me. I don't get many of those. When you've been around it for so long... You'll kind of lose that like fanness of it all. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I know. We know exactly what you're trying to say. Absolutely. Is so that... there's very few things that excite me anymore, and that was, you know, that was one of the top. That was one of the coolest things for sure that ever uh, happened to me. Is that is that cool. the same story where Vince cussed out one of the druids? Oh no, that was at WrestleMania. Oh. So WrestleMania in Detroit, uh, where um, WrestleMania 23. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, the stage was set up where it was like uh, the stage came out at like five different, like a star, where it came out to five different points, and they had everybody, you know, in the druid outfits, and each druid was holding a uh, torch that was on fire. You know what I mean? So they they want us to go out there in the dark, and they want us to walk to the very tippy, uh, or they wanted the guys to walk to the very tippy top or the tip of the. Uh, the stage with this torch and my friend James was one of the druids and legitimately could not see while he's like you're holding a torch in front of you and you have no idea where the person in front of you is so you don't know if they stop and you keep walking you're walking a torch <laughs> in somebody's back so they did the dry run and when they came to the back uh, Vince said to everybody uh, can everybody see okay and my friend James said, mm, kind of, like, kind of, like, so, you know, so, so. And Vince face turned 50 shades of red and said, so, so. Can we please get somebody over here who can see a little bit better than so, so? So he was going <laughs> to yeah. So he's like, no, no, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. He didn't want to ruin his WrestleMania moment either. So he just went with it and everything. <laughs> off. No one, no one died in the production of uh, WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to say it or not, but did, would you get paid for that? Like, here's 20 bucks or do you just like, hey, no. dude, I, I'm just happy as when heck to be here. Extra, you get paid as if like the same amount of money as the guys who are like wrestling a match, you know, and uh, the opener, you know, like the one before the crowd, like when the crowd first gets let in. Mm-hmm. So you usually get a couple hundred bucks from like back then, like when you're when you're running the road making, you know, forty, fifty bucks a night oh. and they throw you two, three hundred bucks, you know. Yeah. That don't suck, you know what I mean? That's minor and league baseball right there. And it's even like yep. the coolest part about the whole thing is when you get a check in the mail and it's from World Wrestling Entertainment. That's cool. Home. That's you cool. If it's for a dollar, you got a check yeah. from WWE, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I figure I, I, I gave them enough of my money. They could give me a little bit of it back once in a while, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> what other great stories do you have? Because I know you've probably been thinking of some good ones you'd like to drop on us. Oh. And at the end of the day, oh, we're fans. Where have be like, we have to be talking about somebody, and then it just pops into my head. i got so many stories. I'm trying to think of anything that pops into the uh, pops in my head. Do you have a P.D. Williams Any story? Any Kevin Nash story? Ooh, Kevin Nash. There we go. Oh, my gosh. So, like, Kevin is, like, the quintessential cool 
dude. Like, he's like just like even girls that don't know wrestling just think Kevin Nash is just like God's gift to women. Like, I I don't like bringing my girlfriends around Kevin Nash because that's how smooth. <laughs> what I mean. Like we did a, um, you know, when they do like those firefighter auctions where you can win a date with, you know, a firefighter and they do the auction. So I hosted one of those. I hosted uh, it with him and it was just right after Magic Mike had been on and he mm-hmm. was uh, Tarzan and Magic Mike. So you have all these, you know, thirsty women there and you got Kevin Nash and you got these firefighters. Thirsty. They got me as the host. <laughs> so that, that kind of kept the women a little bit cool, you know, by having me there. But the uh, he's just such a cool guy. The, even the way he holds his wine glass looks sophisticated. Like everything about him is so cool. Like when they, I got to experience guys, that. Yeah, that's a shoot. Like he is just a cool. Like I don't, I'm not sure I've swore enough on the show, but he's a cool fucking dude. Like nobody's cooler than Kevin Nash. And even like you see these people online try to troll Kevin Nash, and he gives it back to them so bad that I just think like. I don't know, just someone like that cool where you can't even talk shit to the guy without yeah. him first. Like he's just such a cool guy. Like I can see why he you know what I mean, tall, good looking, suave, cool, can tall. And it's no wonder he made millions of dollars in this business. And you know what I mean? People can say, you know, he was a shitty wrestler, but at the end of the day, go go ask his accountant how horrible the job Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How about Hulk Hogan? He's putting his accountant's kids through school, not just his own kids. <laughs> so true. How about Hulk Hogan? Nobody's cooler than Kevin Nash for sure. How about how about Hulk Hogan? Hulk Hogan. Any, any good Hogan stories? Time, the only time, like, so there was the pay per view in Florida where um, Macho Man was going to appear, and he was going to show up at the very end. It was like Hall Nash and Jeff Jarrett had just beat up somebody and macho man was going to come down and make the save and i had never met hulk i don't know if anyone in tna had met hulk at that point because i'm talking like 2005 probably and uh hogan just showed up to the impact zone like to universal studios and we were like because we used to see jimmy hart there all the time but then when you see jimmy show up with hulk it's like you're twenty something years old, and you immediately revert to being like seven fucking years old when you get around. <laughs> Hulkamania, man! Like that's the—he's the reason why any of us are even still talking about wrestling right now, is because of Hulk Hogan. So I remember it was like me, Saban, Petey, Sanjay, all standing there, like, "Okay, go say you go say hi to him." So then, but I'll walk behind you and I'll act like you know I'm with you. So you're. Saying, <laughs> like we were like you know fighting over who's gonna go say hi to hulk hogan first and he just when you meet him he's just like a cool he's like he's hulk hogan so he shouldn't be as nice as he actually is like he could he's one of the guys who probably could get away with being an asshole to everybody for the rest of his life and you'd be like yeah man but he's hulk hogan you know yeah, exactly and i remember my uh my father-in-law was at uh target shopping in tampa on vacation and he was buying me um some wrestling figures and hulk hogan got in line behind him and hulk hogan signed the back of a of an action figure that wasn't even him just because he had him him. that's awesome my wrestling figure collection i have a figure signed by hulk hogan on the back of somebody that's not hulk hogan (laughs) that is awesome (laughs) and you know what It's, it's even better now because 
he's not just Hulk Hogan, obviously, but he's Hulk Hogan the billionaire, thanks to Bubba the Love Sponge and right. his wife. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, good for his bank account guy, because right. I, the Hulk is the Hulk. You're absolutely right. Hulk is like, if you think about it, Hulk's the guy, like, they poured, like, he's the one that started the fire, and guys like Rock and Stone Cold and Triple H, they're the ones that stoked that fire, and that's, there's, the scary part about it is, I don't know who the next, like, the wrestling business needs somebody that's bigger than the wrestling business, the way, like, Hulk Hogan was bigger than the wrestling business, Stone Cold, The Rock, all these people were bigger than the business, so when, you know, I mean, you go up to anybody right now and say, Hulk Hogan, even the old lady at the bank who doesn't watch wrestling knows who Hulk Hogan is. She knows who Stone Cold is. She knows who The Rock is. But in 10 years, who's that going to be? For Great question. Team? Do you have an idea? I mean, can you think of somebody off the top of your head that you think might be that? That's an unbelievable question. Because here, I, I, what I think the problem is, I think WWE has decided that they don't want the stars to ever be bigger than the brand. I think they want the brand to be what everybody talks about. And I don't know if they would ever let anyone, I know it's going to sound weird that they wouldn't want to let someone get over, but I really truly believe that they don't want anyone bigger than their brand out there and that they will always put WWE ahead of, you know, Seth Rollins or Becky Lynch or whomever. Like the Rock or, Roman, or Roman Reigns like they're not mentioning right now. Yeah, I wonder what's, what's going on with that as well because, he was their golden boy for such a long, long time, and I don't know if it's something political or if they've just decided to take him off TV due to his health and everybody's just hearing rumor and innuendo or what. But I guess if we don't see him again for a couple more months, then I guess the rumor and innuendo is true. But sometimes people just want to take time off. Like, if you think That's about great. it, if you're out there taking bumps 300 nights a year, it sucks, you know what I mean? Yeah. And as much as, And if you're a guy like Roman Reigns, at this point, you know what I mean? I'm not so sure it's as much about the money as it is about, you know, he doesn't have to worry about where his next meal is coming from. You know didn't, what I mean? he just have a, didn't he just have a second set of twins uh, recently? Right. That's the thing, right? So the internet is always going to be the internet and they're going to, you know, whatever narrative fits whatever they're trying to put out there. And as long as they can get anything that fits their narrative, that's what they're going to spread. Like, I read stuff all the time about Impact. Like, this happened backstage, that happened backstage, and I know for certain that it didn't happen, and that so-and-so wasn't even backstage at the time with this said, but it fits the narrative of... Because the, the internet loves people, and to a certain point, it's like, you know, build them up before they tear them down kind of thing, where they love to watch people become a star, and then once they become a star, they can't wait to tear them, tear them down. It's a weird psychological thing that people do, and it's very strange. And I just wonder how much of it is people get sick of Roman Reigns, they don't want him around, so they just make up stories for why he's not around. And then people who agree and don't want him around start agreeing with the narrative and start spreading it around, and you never know. So I don't ever really go by anything other than what I see with my own eyes and hear with my own ears. And even in the wrestling business, only 10% of that's usually true anyways itself. I've got a so what what. What does the front office or, or you guys do when you have a, a a wrestler that is about to become a free agent that's going to be hot and like LAX, for instance, them wind up going to AW? What advice do you give those guys? Do you give you give them your blessing or try and negotiate? Because it seemed like all the guys that y'all are grooming and stuff when it, that free agency hits, because of the way that y'all groom them and stuff, they are going. 
to AEW, WWE, and they're becoming stars. And 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 I know that I, you know if I was a wrestler, I would be very thankful and grateful that y'all did that. So I mean, what is the process when that happens? Well, I don't know if you notice. Whenever WWE seems to be getting rid of somebody, they just take them right off TV as soon as they figure out that they're not re-signing to try to cool everybody down. So that you mean in between. So if they cool you down with like a month left on your contract, and then you have ninety day no compete, you're off TV for four months. And in the entertainment world, that could be a disaster for some people because out of sight, out of mind. And especially when you can watch four hundred different wrestlers on TV every week, if you don't see someone for four months. You either either absence grows fondness or it grows fungus, and you'd rather it grow fungus <laughs> than fungus. You know? so, so very uh, true. So the best part is, so a guy like Roman Reigns, I think, is pretty evergreen. He can be off TV as long as he wants, and there's going to be people aching for him to be back on TV. Whereas maybe some of the people that got released uh, a couple weeks ago, you know, may catch on with Impact, may catch on with Ring of Honor, may never do anything in the wrestling business again. It's just you never know what. What people, and that's the thing too, when people say, well, they, so-and-so should go to here and they should go to this and they, but people don't understand it's a business and like AEW can't sign literally everybody they want, even if they want to, it's just financially, there's only two hours of programming a week and, you know, five matches. Can they really afford to have a hundred people on payroll for five matches a week? Same with impact, but WWE, they're constantly trying to, you know, create content they've got a network that they have to have content on they have raw that's three hours a week they've got smackdown that's two hours a week they got nxt that's two hours a week they've got all those little tertiary shows and tournaments and all this other stuff they need to they need bodies to fill so when wwe gets rid of people it's one of those things where if they don't catch on it's basically up to them to reinvent themselves and try to prove their worth to somebody else all right, I've got a couple names before we start talking baseball here and then wrap up the podcast. How about, do you have any good Bobby Lashley stories? The only Bobby Lashley, I met him for the first time in Ottawa at uh, Bound for Glory when I got re, when I brought back to Impact. And all I remember was it was about an hour before the show started and he realized he didn't have his signature headband. So I said, give me a minute, and I literally just ran around uh, Ottawa on foot, going to every uh, sporting goods store I could find uh, within a three-block radius, and finally found a camouflage Under Armour headband for 12 bucks. Bought it for him, and he said he'd pay me back, and he never did. So as far as I'm <laughs> That's the stuff that behind the people do. <laughs> I, I remember Carlos Payne, who's on the MLB channel and everything right now. He yeah. used to, he, He's notorious. He would go to the uh, clubhouse and go, hey, go film my – oh, hey, yeah, I'll give you money when I get back. Oh, yeah. Never gave the money back. Carlos Pena is notorious for that because he was with the Royals here a little bit. But that's a bunch of BS. Yeah, guy, hey, he didn't learn that from me in Detroit either. No, well, I hope not. Well, I know he didn't because you're you're good people and stuff. But that, that's the honest to God truth. Yeah, we have a, we had a guy in that locally. Uh, his wrestling name was Otis Apollo. And he uh, – he was the king of, uh, we'd be sitting around at a show and it'd be like three hours before we had to do anything. And he'd say, hey, did you drive here? And he'd say, yeah. Say, hey, can you take me to Wendy's? I'll pay for your food if you bring me over there. And you say, sure. Then you get to the drive-thru and everyone orders and then he forgot his wallet, right? <laughs> so then you end up buying his and yours and driving him there. And then by the time the show's got, done, he's gone. 
And the next time you see him, you're like, hey, you got that five bucks you owe me? Exactly. It's like, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't get that to you last time? It's like, no, no, you oh, didn't. Yeah, their memories, they forgot. And they don't uh, damn well. You know what? Karma is a bitch, and we'll come back. <laughs> he eventually gave me back. He gave it to Scott threatened him and said, just give the guy his five bucks. And the piece of shit gave him to me in quarters. He gave me uh, five dollars in oh. quarters back. <laughs> oh. uh, no good son of a <laughs> alright alright let's 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 do two more wrestling names and then we'll uh, move on and talk some baseball how about AJ Styles I never really spent uh, much time with AJ if I'm being honest so I won't waste uh, one of your wrestling names with that Dimitri something, something better Dennis come on Dimitri do you have any names alright so you was there from 04 to 06 Samoa yeah. Joe. Samoa Joe is one of the funniest, coolest guys you'll ever meet yes. and one of the toughest bastards you'll ever meet in your entire life. Um, I'm not sure. I'm going to tell the story anyway, even though I'm not sure if this is. I'm sure, the, uh, I'm sure the time has run out. But back in the day, Tracy Brooks used to sell her uh, game-worn, I'd say game-worn underwear to people on the internet after the matches. And I remember one time oh, she had man. Samoa Joe wear her thong underneath his tongue. <clears throat> he wrestled a three-way match, came to the back, took the thong off, dropped it in a manila envelope, and they mailed it to somebody that had paid for Tracy's game-worn underwear. They got a pair of Samoa Joe-worn underwear. Oh, my ass. Beautiful. Oh. And that is awesome because you know darn stinking well that whoever got oh, those underwear is still it. like and smelling He's and all they're doing is smelling oh. all sweat from oh. <laughs> Samoa Joe. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, that's one of the ten people listening. He's going like, oh. Yeah. Oh, I me. love it. I hope so. One of the ten people that are listening, I hope that somehow gets back to the guy that bought them. Oh. Yeah, yeah, really. Oh, okay. That's gross. <laughs> Dimitri, do you have another guy you want to know about? I was I was waiting for Jason. Jason hadn't thrown any um any uh wrestlers. You can even throw out some old names. I, I've worked with a million people. Well, I was gonna say when you're talking about Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, but I know that's like No, he's I think uh we were we were talking about this uh, like a year or so ago. I think He's the only guy that I've ever wanted to meet that I because he died before I ever got into the wrestling business. Oh, oh, oh! I have, I have two. Okay. Kurt Angle. Yes. And the other one happens to be, and 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 this guy here, I got to know when he was Prince Justice in the Heartland uh, Wrestling when out in Cincinnati Abyss. Chris Park. Right. So, Kurt Angle is probably pound for pound the greatest professional wrestler of all time. Like, as far as, like, true athlete goes, as far as, like, taking someone, like, the wrestling business is a very difficult business to, like, to do. It goes against, like, learning how to fall on your back is it's something that your brain is just your instinct is to not fall on your back, right? Because your brain is like, hey, falling hurts, and I don't want to fall. So even something as simple as learning to take a bump for most people sucks. And for someone like Kurt Angle to come in and not only pick up wrestling, but to, like, absolutely master it, like, to take it and, like, do things with it that no one has ever seen and, like, 
he can do comedy. He can do heel. He can do babyface. He can do intensity. He can do, you name it. Like Kurt Angle, he's the best. And then we like we had him at a local show here in Windsor, and he met everybody, shook every single hand. Just there's no truer like man's man, coolest guy. Like I, I said, Kurt. When I said Kevin Nash is a cool guy, it's because he's suave and sophisticated. Kurt's cool because. He could probably kick the fuck out of all four of us in three seconds. He wouldn't even know what hit you. It, I, 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 that's I Jason's guy, Jeff. It wouldn't be me. That's my boy. So when he won the Olympic gold medal in Pittsburgh, right? Well, I mean, he's from Pittsburgh. It, when he won the in '96, it was my first year. He came back, and what did you do after you won the Olympic gold? I don't know. He was trying to work for a local sports um, uh, uh, station out there, and. I knew who he was. That's Kurt. He just won an Olympic gold. So he would walk in with the media after the games or before the games, whatever it was. And when you walk into somebody else's locker room, whether it be hockey, you feel kind of uncomfortable. And so he was just kind of sitting there by himself as the other media guys were going. And I said, hey, Kurt, come here. And we we became, God, that's like we're buddies and went out and hung. But we became, whenever he felt uncomfortable, he'd come over and talk. The next year, he was Kurt Angle, WWE, and blew up. And he came back again, like, I, I, don't, I can't remember what year it was, but um, it was in the 2000s because we were at PNC Park at the time. But what an unbelievable dude. My all-time favorite wrestler just because I got to know him well because he was and, – and I think he appreciated that because I, I was young, he was young, and I didn't, I didn't like the media. I still really don't, even though I'm doing this. But we got to just hang out and just talk. And the next thing you know, watching him do what – Someone that wins an Olympic gold medal, you deserve to go and on and, and as much as possible to be able to take care of your family and, and et cetera, in my, in my opinion. So I was so proud of him that that following year that he went on to be, obviously, Kurt Angle and you sucked. I, so Kurt Angle is one of my all-time favorites. He's the best. And even, like, I remember we when we brought him to our show here in Windsor when we were going back across the border. You know how they sometimes they just it's easy going across and sometimes it's a pain in the ass. Yes. Well, this happened to, this happened to be a pain in the ass day that the, we were having, and I remember my friend James said to the co, said to the customs agent, "You think winning a gold medal uh, in the Olympics, you know, would allow you a little bit more, you know, respect around here?" And it had the opposite effect of what you think it would have. Mm. Is this <laughs> is this the same James that got Vince to yell at him? Like, yeah. hey, you're in yeah, Canada, stop, bro. Stop hanging out with that guy. <laughs> He's making friends everywhere. Uh, exactly. Kendall, do you have any names you want to know about? Hold on, we didn't hear about Abyss. Oh, Abyss. Abyss. So Abyss is one of the like, honestly, for like, what you look, if you just know him by his character, you would you would have no idea that he is literally the exact opposite. He is the kindest, sweetest guy you'll ever meet in your entire life. He's like a huge teddy bear. He would give you the shirt off his back. Um, the fact that I hear he's succeeding in WWE is just makes me so happy for him because you know when he when he left Impact to go to WWE, I know there was a lot of people who said that you know that Abyss would never you know survive in that environment and that you know maybe he's too soft and too sweet to really even be able to you know, handle the WWE schedule and the way that you're talked to there and stuff like that. And not only is he, like, from the things I hear, he's doing 
amazing work there. Like he's one of the best uh, agents they have uh, in WWE. He's loved by everybody. Even Vince loves him, and Vince doesn't usually, you know, chum up with a lot of people backstage. So Chris is one of the best guys I've ever met in the business. One of the kindest. He's, I don't have one bad thing to say about Abyss, and if he has all the success in the world in WWE. I know that his Impact family, you know, the guys that came up with him are all in, all on his side. It doesn't matter where he's making his money or where he's finding his success. It's the fact that he is getting that success and making his money and putting his stamp on the business outside of in the ring. Kudos to him, man. I think anyone that can make their money with that by not taking bumps in this business, more power to you. I salute you. And I hope that I wish everybody could do that, you know? All right. Then I'll throw out to Dame here. How about Matt Hardy? Uh, no interaction with him really either. I only talked to him about wrestling figures one time uh, backstage at WWE, and that's about it. No, no real What about um, Mick Foley? Ooh. Foley is another guy who is, like, the wrestling business, you'll, you'll notice that the people we keep bringing up and the people that we keep talking about you know what I mean, are mostly, like, are such genuine good guys, and there's a reason why everybody keeps bringing them back up. Like, Foley is another guy who made, like, he made all his money by taking bumps and ruining his body for our entertainment. Do you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. to help build what wrestling is today. So for him to be able to be an author and to do all this other stuff and make money outside of wrestling without having to take bumps, like... Uh, we had a mutual friend, uh, Joe Doring, who was a wrestler in all Japan, who came down. He had a brain tumor a couple years ago. And uh, he, we started a GoFundMe for Joe. And it was going good, as good as, you know, a locally advertised GoFundMe page can be. And then uh, Scott Demore uh, announced that um, for the following week, however much money gets put into this GoFundMe, Scott would match it. So when Foley found out, he tweeted it out and Facebooked it out to everybody and cost him more thousands and thousands of dollars. Scott literally <laughs> That's beautiful. True to his word, what he said, uh, Foley put, because Foley's social media outreach is bigger than probably all four of us combined times 20. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Love just, it. And, and to think that you know, all it literally took for him was to just retweet something. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and to boom. make such a difference for somebody's life. That Without just goes to show the power of, like, he didn't have to. He could have said, I don't know who the fuck this guy is. I don't care that he's got brain cancer. You know what I mean? The fact that he's one of the boys and that, you know what I mean, it doesn't matter if he's, you know, wrestles in All Japan, wrestles in Ring of Honor, wrestles in Impact. We're all a brotherhood. And like I was saying earlier, we don't really care how, where you get your success as long as everybody finds their success and makes their money and leaves their mark on this business, then what's it matter? Everybody gets their piece of the pie. I think it's cool. All right, Jeff. Now we're at the part of the hey, show. Ben, 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 ben. Oh. I, got, I, got, I got one more. One more. All right. You, you know I'm the biggest wrestling nerd. Sting. Sting. My, my favorite Sting story, Bound for Glory, the one that we did in Detroit 2006, Sting forgot his makeup, and he didn't realize until about 7 p.m. that he had no makeup. So where on Sunday at 7 p.m. do you find proper, you know, yeah. Hollywood, you know, makeup? So we ended up going to a grocery store and buying craft paint for him. 
And he was trying and he was trying to put that on and it wasn't working. <laughs> so we found a kid in the crowd that had his face painted like Sting and the mom still had the Halloween paint in her purse. Oh my oh, that is unbelievable. That you, is awesome. So if you That's watch that cool. pay per view, his paint comes oh. off in about three seconds in that match because it's not regular paint that he uses <laughs> for the pay per view. It was literally Halloween paint we got from some woman's purse in the crowd whose kid was painted up like Sting or Jeff Hardy or something. I can't remember, but we're like, hey, where'd you get that paint? And she's like, right here. I'm like, can I have it? And he's like, sure. And he painted himself <laughs> up. This- that is beautiful. That's the, the behind what the scenes. Story. I love, I love you should write a right book. There. I tell every clubhouse manager or, or uh, equipment manager that I've been with, like, write a book. I've been write to- a book. Or traveling secretary, write a book. Because, yes, you might not ever be able to, to work in Major League Baseball again, but you're going to make trillions off of the book you write Story, I know. it's crazy i've been trying to get him to do a podcast i tell him he is such a good storyteller and he's got so many great stories he he's not fully realizing his potential yeah jeff it's hard for, to, to shut me up and trust me dennis and Demetrius both oh, say yeah, like yeah it is you, i i could sit here and listen to you all day well i appreciate that and like i said we could probably do this 20 more times and I still could fill all, I could tell you guys a million more stories. I just, I, you just, it's hard to think of 27 years of stories. It's like, you have to be given the names and you just have to kind of just roll with it. You know what I mean? No, but, I, I know. Okay. And you remember you said that because our 10 people, we need to get that up. Right. So hopefully those, 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 the 20 some odd more stories. Yeah. We can, maybe we can get up a little bit higher than 10. All right, Jeff. I, I, before we go any farther, let me tell my Jason Kendall story real quick. Oh, you have a Jason no, no. Kendall story? Yeah. So I used to work at a grocery store with this kid. His name was James Kendall. And this is where you were in, like, the heat, like, in your, in your prime. And this kid bought every fucking piece of merch that said Kendall on it because he would tell everyone that it was him. And he, <laughs> so he, his hat, his hat he, had a, he had a Pirates hat and a Pirates jersey that said Kendall. He had a freaking warm-up jacket that said Kendall on it. Anything that had Kendall on it, he bought it, and he would tell people he was related to you, and I knew he was full of shit. That's so part, awesome. Part of me hated you before I even met you because I hated the way this guy would always act, uh, pretending he was you. <laughs> That's beautiful. That is beautiful. Hopefully you got lucky. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not nearly as cool as I used to be back then, but that is awesome. It makes me... Um, if, nothing gonna... else, if nothing else, he, he helped your merchandise uh, royalty check go up a little bit, I guess. No, and and if you still speak to him, tell him I said thank you very much. But yeah, um, good, good for James. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. So so just so just so we're blocking him, he is not related to you, right, Jason? No, I, I no, and if I I don't speak to, like I don't have friends. I don't have. Like, I got my brother, my parents, my little sister. That's about it. I don't have that, no. So there's no James Kendall in my family. So you yeah, can go back to the grocery store he's still working at and tell him. Yes, I'll go yell at him. All right, so this is finally the part part of the show where you and I, Jeffrey, stop being interviewee, interviewer, and we become fanboys of Dimitri Young and Jason Kindle, and we get to ask them a little bit of questions because I know you are a diehard baseball fan. So kind of like what we did to you, you can throw out some names, you can ask them some questions because we started interviewing people and I get like a little emails like, oh man, I want to ask these guys something. So we started building in a little bit of time at the end of the shows now where people who are fans of baseball can now kind of geek out with these two. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. I just want to like the one question I really want to ask Kendall actually 
is like, are we ever going to see like another big hitting catcher ever again? Like, it seems like all these catchers nowadays have their 178 batting average, 200 batting average. Like, we there's nobody in like the way that you know a lot of the catchers were hitting. You know, even 15, 20 years ago, are we ever going to see a good hitting catcher anymore? Or do you think the job of the catcher is more about calling the game and not about, you know, hitting the ball and stuff like that? What's your That's opinion? an unbelievable question because when you look, that's a great question. You can hit 220 now and you're still going to make a bunch of money as a position if you can run a staff, call a game. But the, the, these kids have to put in the work to do that. That's why everybody's like, oh, the games are so long. This and that, and that are because the pitcher, the, the pitchers, the catchers doing their work for a seven o'clock game. I was at the ballpark at one. I had the trust, and you have to earn that of all my pitchers. That's why the games were a little bit quicker. Offensively, you don't you don't have to hit. I mean, I can go back. The last person that I remember is from your uh, home country is Russell Martin that had you know a two ninety three hundred type average, and what a great catcher he was mm-hmm. and still is, but. You don't you don't see anymore because there's no catching anywhere. And I mean, Dimitri and I both you know uh, teach some kids and coach kids, and whether it be uh, from little league on up to the college level, and nobody wants to do that position anymore because they they're 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 scared. They're scared. There's no catching anywhere. And Dimitri's more involved with the the next generation than I am. And and I'll guarantee you that. You find a catcher right now that can hit and and throw. They'll teach them on the way up how to call a game, et cetera, et cetera. But if you can find a catcher right now that can hit and it block the ball, to be honest with you, they'll teach you in the minor leagues because there's no catching anywhere. Do I think that's going to happen? Absolutely it's going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Do I see a catcher hitting 320 in the near future? No, not a shot in hell. Now, the near future, I would say another 10 years, then you might see somebody that is able to go out with the grind it is to be able to catch 120 now. I mean, it's kind of like a pitch count. Like, oh, we have to rest his legs. You don't have to rest your legs. If you're in the big leagues, that's your job. You can't go out there on a daily basis and, and, and go to the post with your teammate every day. Then... You shouldn't be there, but now everybody babies everybody, and you know. You, but you have to also change with the generation, and you know, kind of coddle these guys because they are making a bunch of money. The owners are making a bunch. You, you got the TV, et cetera, et cetera. But so, do I see that in the near future? No, but will it happen? You're going to see like an old school ball player. I think that that can go out there and do that to post up every day. It's crazy how like. I was talking to, we did a, um, uh, like Bud Light did a thing where you could go to Tiger Stadium and take uh, BP from uh, Dan Rosma. And I was like, I was such a <laughs> Tigers fanatic that I was like, I told the bar owner, which is actually Scott Demore, I'm like, I'm winning this thing because I don't care. I don't drink, but I'm winning this thing because I want to take BP from like Dan Rosma. You know what I mean? And to go to, you know, to go to these things and these guys are there. And to talk to them, it's like they weren't making any money in their prime. Like they were making like a hundred grand a year, you know, in nineteen eighty six. And now these guys still take jobs so that they can have benefits for their kids and stuff like that. 
And it's just so surreal how the business now, how somebody can bat or a pitcher that is just rotten can still have a job and even make a, you know, $250,000 a year. Just goes to guarantee you right now that it's more because Dimitri, when Dimitri and I broke in, it was 109, right, D? Yep. And now, I mean, now the minimum is almost. Yeah, it's like almost $600,000 for a rookie. You guys know Simon Diamond? Remember him from. uh, Yeah. W that he was a baseball catcher in like in high school and college, and he said that his dream job, other than being a wrestler, was to be a bullpen catcher because he can make a hundred grand a year and never have any stress. You just have to catch a ball and throw it back. You don't have to call a game. You don't have to be any good. Even you can just make a hundred grand a year and be a bullpen catcher. Well, he he was yeah, probably wrong. The way grand. Grand. Yeah, what's that? that he was probably wrong on the hundred grand a year, but well, the, <laughs> if he has the Atlanta Braves staff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did he probably uh, ground? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> they they tip well. <laughs> Pittsburgh, he has to pay them. So, uh, so Dimitri, you were in the Tigers from uh, you were there from what? Oh three to oh five. Oh two to oh six. Oh two to oh six. Yeah, that I was part of um, forty three and one Almost had the New York Mets sixty two worst record of all time. It was actually fun that year. <laughs> you had nothing to play for. Well, the team was young. It was a real young team. We had it was basically a double A team. It was very few veterans and a whole bunch of young players that at the time weren't ready. But Mike Illich wasn't putting in the money into the team like he did with the Detroit Red Wings. And after that forty three and one nineteen, that was when we got Pudge and we got. Rondell White, we started building the team, getting uh, Carlos Guillen and, and uh, Maglio Donez, and then that 06 team, you know, getting to the World Series. You know, it took basically shitting in the bed the whole year. But when 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 we were playing, I got I got traded in 02, and I wound up getting hurt in this half, the second half of the year. So, dude, I got to prove myself. I don't want to be another guy that signs a big deal and doesn't produce, so... You know, as we were struggling, it was more of me becoming a mentor to a lot of the young guys. It was like, you still got to go out there and grind. Who gives a rat's ass that, you know, we're going up against the New York Yankees and Project Clinton is trying to win, and it didn't happen on our watch because I wasn't going to allow that to happen. But those guys learned how to, you know, learn how to grind, and I learned that from Greg Vaughn and, and Cincinnati, and before then, all the guys in St. Louis. So, and Jason is the same way. He got guys that were before him that taught him the way, and and that's how it was with that O three team. We stunk. We didn't know we stink, stunk, and we had to win five out of the last seven. Out of, but <laughs> if we didn't, we would have tied the Mets. But we watched those guys grind, and and then the team wind up turning around. You know, it's so funny to listen to Dimitri say that because, listen, Dimitri and I were on teams that were 30 games out of first place in July, which, trust me, it's not fun. But we, we you learn, 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 learn. And um, I'll, I'll never forget when I was in Milwaukee, 2008. Yeah, I've been to the playoffs in, oh, geez, since, I don't know, 83 or whatever it was. And you know what? We went into Fenway. Got swept. Boston, you know, big Boston, Green Monster. It's the same thing as like going to New York or the, the bigger cities. And it's the younger kids were so intimidated. It was, 
and I'll never forget, we got swept. And after that, we, uh, Mike Cameron and myself, I go, dude, we can't keep playing like this. We're too good. We, uh, they, you know what? Coaches, get out of here. And we had like a little player's pow. And, and we kind of said what Dimitri just said, like, hey, guys, this is, here's the deal. We're good. You cannot be intimidated if you go to these, you know, big market clubs. I mean, we played like absolute crap. And um, I'm going to tell you what, ever since then, we just rolled. We rolled and we ended up getting to the playoffs the first time since 1983. Um, but it's guys like Dimitri, guys like myself, Mike Cameron, that we were brought up the right way, like trying to kind of figure it out. And because trust me, the, even though you might lose 100 games, it could go more south than that because now you have guys making some money. So there has to be that better and present. And Dimitri and I talk about this all the time. Like there has to be one, at least one, has to be at least two, to be honest with you, in my, that have been yeah. there, done that, whether you, you get your butt kicked or you, you've been to the postseason, to relay that information to, to, to the younger kids because they don't know. They're all, especially today, because they're all like the, the best that there is. And listen, it's not their fault that they're having these shifts and, Nope, there's nobody at third base and they're bunting. That's just the way they teach it. Like, I mean, like, I got an easy base hit if I bunt it because nobody's on the left side of the infield. So, no, I'm going to try to hit a home run. And then they roll over to the second base. <laughs> it's Ow. not their fault. That's the way they're taught now. And because of all this analytic crap that's well, going on, which some what? of it's good, you know some of it's bad. Hey, Jason, sorry, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 no. The analytics, real veterans that are on that bench, like you was talking about, one or two veterans, like maybe one in a bullpen a star being somebody that used to start and 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 on the bench pinch hitting there are none of those guys that had adequate amount of time like 15 years when i came up with the cardinals there were five guys with 20 years in the big league exactly i had to walk, I had to walk around like a dog on church mouth now there are guys that are getting called up when i was with the nationals manny actor he wouldn't let the veterans you know to you know pick on the rookies you know like at two o'clock in the morning we're in houston they go down down there, a burger and go get some food and stuff. He cut that crap out, you know. And that was the stuff that I grew up with. Maniac and now. No, no, he's with uh, he, he, he um kissing some booty. He would um exactly. He's he he's kissing yes. But that's just the, that's the culture of 2020. Like even getting into the wrestling business back in the day, like when Hulk Hogan went to wrestling practice, he broke his leg the first day. Figured if he really wanted it that bad, he'll come back. Now, you can't exactly do that to somebody in 2020 because of the way that people's feelings and why well, I get it. I'm not making I'm not mocking it because it's a completely different generation. But bringing this back to wrestling to what you just said, you know, you see a lot of things on the Internet where, you know, WWE will keep a guy like Goldust or R-Truth or somebody like that. And, the, and they say and the, the, the regular casual fan who doesn't really get it says, you know, why is someone like Goldust taking up a roster spot? When, you know, they have all these people. What they don't understand is the locker room needs people that have been there, done that. Because yes. the only way that you'll ever, it's like, if, if, if I'm in a room with a bunch of people who have the same experience level as me, there's nobody for me to go to to find out what the fuck. The blind leading the blind. The blind leading the blind. Right. And that is such a great, that's, a, that's an unbelievable thing that you just brought up. Because Dimitri and I and Dennis talk about this often. There are coaches now in the big leagues that have, I mean, maybe never even played college ball. They're coaches, like coaches, like it's a big league in level. The big that, 
in the big leagues that have never put on a jock strap, so to speak. I mean, I'll get in trouble. I could care less because whatever, but um, never put on a jock strap and they're coaching big league players. If I'm a big league ball player, listen, it's hard to, it's hard to, to get through the minor league system and get to the big leagues. It's another thing to stay a long time. But if you are a coach and you don't have time, these players who, I mean, there's, there's a reason there's only 20, Three to twenty-five thousand players have ever put on a big league uniform because it's hard um, to get. And it's not even twenty thousand. Guy, look it up, Dennis. They're no. going to be like, "Hey, you know, let me see your resume. You're going to tell me how to hit. Yeah, I'm, I might be over my last ten, but you're going to sit here and tell me how to hit when you went to to you you didn't play. You were the 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 you gave water cups and stuff, which there's nothing wrong with giving water mm. cups and stuff to people, but you shouldn't be a big league coach if you haven't been there. So. It's a big thing in baseball now. It, you need to have a resume in order to be a coach. But I think even like as far as like if you're having if you're trying to put a match together, you're two young kids, right? And you want to make your match be you want it to be as over as Shawn Michaels versus Razor Ramon from WrestleMania Nine ladder match. And there's Shawn Michaels over there at the performance center. Wouldn't isn't it natural that you go ask Shawn Michaels? how to fucking get over like Shawn Michaels. Do you know what I mean? So that's the whole reason why the, you, the locker room needs its balance of new. And like, there's also like, and I know you guys know this too in the locker room, there always needs to be one guy in there. That's kind of like the, the, the disruptor, the shit disturber, the guy that keeps everybody on their toes, because I've been in wrestling locker rooms where everybody's happy. Everybody's comfortable. Everybody gets along and it's la 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 hold hands. You know, sing la di da. You need somebody in there that's a disruptor, that's trying to take your spot, that's trying to challenge you, that's trying to make you be better than what, what you really are. And I think that a lot of nowadays, I think there's not too many disruptors in this business. I think there's more people who are just happy to like, hey man, we got a great locker room here. But they need you need age, you need veteran, you need experience, you need someone that's kind of a dick, but not like a huge dick, not someone that's going to get in trouble. But someone that kind of maybe challenges everybody and challenges. Take care of the little things to where the the boss man does not have to. And I can give you yep. a really quick example. Kansas City Royals won a World Series in 2015. I was working in the front office. Eric Hosmer was that guy. He wouldn't let these guys dig off to the point to where it embarrassed the city, the the, the on, on your the name, your family name, and he would take care of that stuff. Now there also needed to be somebody else, kind of a silent assassin. To be like, hey, you know what? What he's trying to say is like, this is how you do it. Well, they ended up winning. They ended up going to the World Series twice. And it, there has to be one guy can do it. I mean, if one guy's like, all right, you want to fight? Let's fight. All right, let's go. But if you got two guys that have been there and done that and one that can seriously sit there and talk and, and be kind of like the, like I said, a silent assassin, then it's going to work. But the manager for a baseball team does not have to, should not have to worry about, hey, so and so. The little laundry bins right there. Do you think one of these clubhouse kids want to touch your dirty ass underwear? Right. Throw them in there. I mean, just little tiny things like that. And it's so funny too, because just like wrestling, where after the show, I got to go in there and tell everyone to pick up their wrist tape, pick up their water bottles. It's like no different from wrestling than it is from baseball. And after a while, all it takes is a look from a veteran, and the young guys are on their hands and knees picking up all the wrist tape and all the water bottles just from a look. You know what I mean? And that's, I what know exactly what you mean. that's exactly what this business needs is you need somebody there to be the, 
to be like the Undertaker is in WWE. You know, yeah, it doesn't have to. You don't have to be like a jerk. You just have to be like, no, this is not the way it's done. Right, right. You have to be the authority amongst the boys. Like you have to be like the president of the union kind of thing. Where like you're the one that everyone goes to. You're like the fixer before they ever makes it to the office. Let the boys handle it in the locker room the way the boys handle it without any repercussion. Just you know, let the boys. And that being said, without a doubt, you don't have to be a jerk. But if someone's going to confront you, all right, let's go. And then you knock them the hell out. And then trust me, everything's taken care of. <laughs> Why do you think it is like uh, so? The wrestling business, everybody wants to know the ins and outs of what's going on behind the scenes, but you never really hear that much about like people trying to delve deep into like. Because, you know, there's been conspiracy theories of stuff you hear over the years that just never even, like, are the wrestlers better at keeping the secret than the, I mean, are the baseball players better at keeping the secrets than the wrestlers are, or what is it? Oh, God, no. Baseball players are gossiping. It's like a bunch. It's like high school. It's like high school. But how come that stuff never makes it out? Like, here's some conspiracy stuff. Stuff never makes it out on the internet or anything. Because we have good PR directors that and, and media guys that 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 put the hush hush on things, so to speak. So that's why they get paid the big bucks is to keep some of the indoor stuff that's going on from getting outside. Uh, you would you would be so surprised what a bunch of wussies, and I'm not talking about when they play, but like remember how why you take. That girl to prom. She asked me. No, she asked you. It's exactly what it's like. There is so much drama and gossip that goes on. and But that's where you need those veteran guys to be like, okay, knock it off. We ain't playing this game. We're here to win. That's it. You would, you would be so surprised. It would make you throw up how much gossip goes on in a major league locker room. But if you think about it, it's because you guys spend so much time with each other from, you know. Very true end of march all the way to the beginning of november you know what i mean or middle of november for oh whole- you're w- you're with these these 25 people more than that obviously with coaches in front office you're with them more than you are your own family for a, a, an eight month period so right. yeah no a thousand percent you're gonna have little fights and little scuffles or whatever but if the stuff gets out it's the player's fault and trust me there's a lot of things that got out and dimitri will say the same thing that it gets out, but there's no reason it should be. And you, because you should see some of the baseball wives, not a whole of them. Oh my God. Oh, it's awful. They think they're playing. They think they got this. Wrestler wives are bad, so I can only imagine how bad they are. Oh, they're real bad. Hey, hey, and not only that, you know, it's just like, you know, people ask, like, Hey, do you hang out with such and such and such and such? You know, just because we're teammates, they think that we're all friends and stuff. I'm like, no, it's just like a classroom setting. Are you friends with everybody in your class? And, and they go, uh, no, no, that's the same thing. And like Jason was saying, you know, from the time we get to spring training in February, and I like to get there at least a week, a week and a half early, you know, and I would be with those guys from that point until the end of the season, which are in either the end of September or the first week of October. And I was rarely going to the playoffs, so it was the beginning of October. But like Jason said, we're together every single day. And if you don't like somebody, you're going to have to find a way to get along with them. And then even so, you still have some of those players who will tell their wives everything. So you got to creep around like a dog on if, if, if you was doing dirt on the outside. Is what I'm saying, but you know, it's like you gotta watch your P's and Q's even around your own teammates, and sometimes that sucks because 
you know, now you're messing with your money. You're yep. messing with your livelihood and, yep. and, and, and things of that nature. And people don't really understand that. And, and when guys are having a crappy year, like my 2006, that was my, the worst year of my life. You know, with all the things that are going on, y'all can Google it. Yeah, yeah, I did some bad crap, you know. It happens. Uh, and, um, Hell, and I so was all that, and shit. That's how, and that's how, you, and that's how you, you, you know, when guys, you know, are sucking, it's like they're sucking because they got other things that they're going through. So that's kind of like some of the stuff that goes on that nobody really knows about that, you know, because they, they want to keep the family intact and let that stuff gossip and stuff, you know, that's, that's not really cool. It's crazy how similar it is to the wrestling business. I can't believe it. You guys are blowing my mind here. The wives, the, the bullshit. Think about it. Think about you have to listen to people's wives ask why so-and-so loses more matches than other guys. <laughs> You know why I mean? oh, why is my husband not playing? playing? And, and right. somehow you hear about it. So and so wants to know why my husband because he's not good enough. That's why he's the fifth outfielder. Bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, uh, you know what? You're you're a Tigers fan, right, Jeff? Oh, through and through. So let's throw out a couple old Tigers players' names. I don't know if Jay still have any connections, but I know Dimitri will tell some stories. I'll start it off. Uh, give us some dirt on a uh, Jeremy Bonderman. I love Jeremy Bonderman, man. We uh, at one point, what year was it? Was it oh four, oh five? We had um, we actually had two players that had a GED. Cal Farnsworth was one of them, and Jeremy Bonderman was the other. And the reason why I brought up those two names was because um, they were heavily involved in this um, team brawl that we got in with the Kansas City Royals. We had Carlos Guillen; he was hitting, and Ravellas Hernandez was pitching. And and hit them all up in the ribs and stuff. And as Carlos going to first base, he's over there. They're both jawing at each other. And when Carlos got the first base, Ravellas is coming up first. And then they commotion start going. And Jeremy Bonham is the starting pitcher the next day. So he's uh he's he was uh, he's probably twenty one at the time, and because he was up in the big leagues at nineteen and. You know, everything happened around the first base area and stuff. And so, you know, I'm like one of the leaders of the team and stuff. I'm, I'm not – I can fight, but I'm not a fighter. I'm not trying to get into a brawl unless needed. I'm trying to protect our players. So, Germany is over there. Oh, yeah, he's over there at the first base um, dugout where everything's going on. I drag him all the way back to our dugout on the third base side. I turn around for a second and look back. He's already back in the in the pile. And meanwhile, Kyle Farnsworth, and you saw what he did to Paul Wilson with the um, Cincinnati Ray. You saw when he was with the Cubs. Well, anyway, Jeremy Alfelt was talking a lot of noise, and Jamie Walker was telling Jeremy to shut up because you don't want to get that guy mad. Well, anyway, Kyle Farnsworth, he did like this. He broke left, and then he went made a beeline, and then he – he gave him the spear. It was it was nasty spear, and then he just start. He got on top of him, and just start throwing them bows on him, and it was like, oh my goodness. But I guess that's what happened when you don't graduate high school. You just have a a, a bad attitude to want to fight. Wow. Yeah, I graduated. <laughs> I say if you didn't graduate, those two oh, had okay. GEDs. Do you have any tigers you want to know about, Jeff? Um. 
I had a chance to meet Curtis Granderson when he came uh, to our game and um, he came to our match uh, uh, Rebellion last year in, in uh, Toronto and he's a great guy. He's like one of my favorite Tigers of all time. What's your uh, What's your experience with him? Oh, well, he was a young player when he came up. You know, I always took care of the rookies and, you know, made sure they, they got dressed well and, you know, get comfortable in the big leagues, you know, because when, when I came up, it, it was the other way around. You know, you felt uncomfortable. You were on eggshells. At least that's how I felt in St. Louis with the Tony LaRusso staff and all the veterans. It was Tony like, LaRusso is an idiot. <laughs> Every so, time. With Curtis Grandison, when he first got called up, this is an awesome story. I, I, I love this one. He's from Chicago, and so we're going to play the White Sox. No, 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 no. No, he's from Chicago, and uh, no, we're in Detroit. He got called up, and I said, where are your plans at? Oh, um, they had a family reunion. They already had that um, plan beforehand. I'm like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, because usually when you first get called up, the family's coming to wherever you're at. But his family, and his, he comes from a great family. His dad's a, a, both of them are, are educators in college and stuff. But um, Curtis, you know, when I went through all my crap in 06, and he, he was the one that called. And, and then I seen him upon re me retiring and seeing him in different places and seeing how he's become a, a true ambassador of the game. And the things that he's doing, not only on the field and happy retirement to him, but the things that he's done off the field, going in the inner cities and, and, and putting together free baseball. He, he doesn't ask a dime from, it, from anybody what he's done for um, the college that he went to. And, and just the things that he's doing, I mean, there's nothing but big things ahead for him. You know, baseball is just only a stepping stone for him. He's... He's destined to do bigger things in life besides baseball. He is going to be the next Tony Clark because I know that he's very, very involved in the union, and I don't know him that well just from the exception of play, or just from playing against him. He is that – like there's six guys that – I mean, everybody has – every team has a player rep, and I think there's like six guys that are like on the board when you're playing. And obviously he's, he's retired now, and you know, but he's one – he was one of those guys. He will be something bigger in this game. I truly believe he's that good of a guy. He knows the game. He knows the the, the front office part, and he knows the union. It, it, the he knows he's going to be a uh, uh, he's going to be in Tony Clark's spot here. I, I think soon. I truly believe that. No, he's going to be with media. I think he's going to do more media stuff because he he he's a great talker. He, he's great in front of the camera. You know, he does um, playoff stuff on WTBS. And, and I mean, you know, the guy, the guy, you can put him anywhere, and not only will he fit in, he'll stand out, and he'll get his stand message out. across. I mean, just a, I mean, God, I, I can't Top say enough things about. Yes. Not, is he a big wrestling fan, Jeffrey? Oh yeah. I didn't know that. I knew he did something with you guys. I didn't know if it was just the paid appearance or if he was a real big wrestling fan. Yeah, he was. A, he was there. Well, Gail Kim was there throwing the first pitch out of the game that afternoon, and they asked uh, if there was anyone that wanted to come to the show and they could uh, be like the belt presenter for the main event, you know, the one that holds the belt up yeah. for the World Cup. And Grandy wanted to be there, so I was... It's so funny, like I said to you guys earlier, how it takes, there's very few things that get me excited about, you know, wrestling anymore. And it's like when I met Gail Kim's husband from the Food Network, Chef Robert Irvine, 
I was more marked awesome. over, I was more marked out over meeting him than half the wrestlers I've ever met. And then when you yeah. meet guys, you know what I mean? When you meet guys like Curtis Granderson, the he, I'm, I was more excited to meet him than I was Macho Man Randy Savage, just because. I mean, it's it's. I just don't get excited about meeting the wrestlers as much as I. No, I didn't mess you. Well, you picked a good one. You picked a good favorite because. Yes. I mean, Dimitri knows him way more than I do, but just good dude. We'll wrap- now, I just have one. Now, if we're gonna go, if you guys want to do, dole out some stories. Now, the big the the big thing that I've always wanted to know, and I think I know what happened, but I guess you guys would probably have more of the know. The Tigers were rolling there for a bit, and then all of a sudden, something went down with with uh, Prince Fielder and Abigail Garcia and all that. Oh, it, you know what? It never happened. I asked Prince because uh, I played with Prince in Milwaukee, so yeah, it was a big rumor. And I said, "Hey, Prince," because Prince would have killed him. Listen, Prince is the nicest guy in the world, but I'm gonna tell you what: he's a strong sob and he's a mean sob. And if that would have ever happened, that Garcia guy never would be playing baseball right now and Prince would be in jail. So I had, I did have a conversation with him. <laughs> never happened. Nothing. And it was just all rumors, rumors, rumors. I hope that crushes it for you. Not crushes it, but ends the, what I don't know, because it just seems Prince so is my dude. That all of a sudden he's gone. And then all of a sudden Prince was gone. Like a, a couple months later, I just wondered if, uh, Dimitri, that stuff. Dimitri, look, Come on, talk to what? us, man. You were there, right? No, I wasn't there. My brother wasn't there. Oh, your brother. What'd your brother tell you? Nothing happened. No, nothing. Okay. All right. Didn't know you were. You were smiling. You people at home or listening on the podcast can't see the the Dimitri smirk. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know if you were holding back. Is this something we should stop recording and no. talk? No. All right. No. 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 Okay. Okay. Just making sure. All right. That- uh, so that's the only juicy gossip I ever wanted to know because I just they were rolling and all of a sudden that team just fell apart. It's like a wheel fell off and I don't know what happened. I, I thought I thought you were going to talk about that um that plane ride from hell. <laughs> Which one? Back in two thousand one. Oh, do tell me. Tell talk about. Wait, wait. I wasn't there. I was still in Cincinnati. Uh, Way to do your homework on your your, your co-host Dennis. I mean, you know nothing about us. Did you guys play baseball? Sometimes um, soccer. Okay, uh, you know what? I got one more player I want to know about, at least from Dimitri, Bobby Higginson. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know what? I, you know what? He was like a friend of me. He was like one of those guys where he's from. He's from Philadelphia, and if you know anybody from Philadelphia, they're some miserable people. And, I mean, I mean, they are some grumpy. I mean, I mean, what's what's water? What's water? I know it's water, but it's not water. And I'm probably gonna catch a lot of flack from the two people that are listening from Philadelphia. But I mean, good God Almighty! It was like we'll get along, and then we'll hate each other. Then it was just like that for three years. Sound like Milton Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else, Jeff, before we send this game home? No, it's just been a pleasure to talk baseball with these guys. I'm a huge fan. I wish we could get these games back playing again, just the same as I wish we could get running some wrestling shows again. It's just weird to be around the wrestling so much, and now like I've done like maybe three events 
in this whole year. It's just so surreal to me to like be home so much. How are you guys? Well, you guys are retired now, but if this had happened while you guys were playing, would you guys want to know the? Would you guys want to be playing right now or keep it keep it cautious or? Dude, that is like a uh, great question, and I was thinking about that today. Now, if I was, to, and I'll try to make this quick, if I was younger and single and no kids, I'd be like, oh, "Come on, let's start up. Let's start up." When I had my son, I was like, "How the hell am I going? I can't even take care of myself. How am I going to take care of him?" I would still, but I mean, what what am I going to do? I'm go to the ballpark and then sit out in a a, a, a freaking Winnebago outside my. So I don't know, and and you're going to have, I'll guarantee you, some people that have younger children not play. I guarantee you. I'm sure there's some wrestlers that, that feel the same way, but yeah. um, I hope they play. Dimitri and I both have, Dennis is like, oh, nobody in the stands, da 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 It needs to come back because, you know what, and we always say this, it, it, you're probably the third or fourth person, but it reminds Dimitri and myself of 9-11. And when 9-11 hit, it, we ended up taking a two-week hiatus eventually, and it was something for people to take their minds off of the, the crap that's going on. So I'm hoping that they get back. The, the spike, I'm in Kansas right now, and I know the spike here just went up again. And it's one of the states that it, that is going through the roof. So I don't know. If we were still playing, if I was single and younger, yeah, I'd want to get I'd absolutely. I'd be like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Children, I don't know, but... I just I hope baseball gets back because it is something for the people to take that three hour break to enjoy something. But that's like I see where you're coming from too because like even baseball to me like that is my seven oh five. I'm sitting down and shutting off my brain for three fucking hours and just watching baseball. Yep. And there's just nothing really like you can watch the Ozarks, you can watch Tiger King and all this other shit, but it just doesn't have the same. Like I want to be able to just sit on my uh, sit there on my phone, have a drink, check my email, listen to the commentators, look up, watch some plays. It's just that's the way I like to consume my baseball, and it's just so weird to not have anything like that to consume. It sucks. I have a question before we get off the air, and I asked Michael Elgin this, and I'm gonna ask you about. Coming out with the TNA World Heavyweight Belt, is there going to be anything like dual champ world championships, or 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 should the audience just stay tuned? Well, as you know, our current world champion is stuck in Mexico, uh, Tessa. <laughs> so she's with Daga, right? Yes. So the whole problem is not that she's like stuck in Mexico. It's the fact that once she crosses into the States to work, she can't go back. And that's, and she lives there. So it's not like, well, she's American. Why can't she just come over? Well, it's like her home is in Mexico. Like she's like 10 minutes from the bridge. It's no different than me. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, I'm, I can see if I look out my window here, I can see the Detroit skyline out my window. It's no different than if I went over like, okay, so I can go over. How am I supposed to get back? You know what I mean? Because they're not just letting anybody just cross the border. You know what I mean? So I think um, it was just something that they come up with uh, to see. Like, because they don't know whether this thing's going to last a month, three months, nine months, ten years. So I think it's one of these uh, storylines where 
they can see how it plays out on TV, see what the like it. do it, and see what how long this whole pandemic is going on, and play it all by ear. Like there's it seems to be a real big nostalgic uh, push for people that uh, old TNA fans to want to have a little bit of that nostalgia. And I know it's something that they were going to do WrestleMania weekend when they were going to do the No Place Like Home show. And you're starting to see that, you know, there's a there there's a market there for people who don't like WWE and necessarily don't like Impact, but enjoyed TNA. And if this is the hook that we can use to bring them back to our product and show us, because a lot of people that shit on Impact haven't watched it since 2000, probably 13 or something. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. completely it's a completely different company, completely different philosophy, completely like even the name is Impact, it's not TNA anymore. And there's still some people who just won't who just can't let that part go. So I think part of this is uh, maybe it's to show part of it is, you know, we're not as scared of the TNA name as we once were, and it doesn't mean crap that it used to because there was a while where the TNA name like LOL TNA was a thing that ever whenever tna did something stupid everyone would just go well lol tna that's that's typical tna shitty booking shitty wrestling shitty angles shitty everything but now that there's people who've never watched impact since scott and don uh, have taken over and they still say tna lol tna tna sucks and it's like well you haven't even consumed the product since it's changed it'd be like Imagine if baseball became football overnight. That's kind of what these guys wanted it to be. And that's still people who don't, oh, well, I think baseball sucks. Well, then watch this. We're playing football here now. We're not playing baseball. If you, if we're just, we're trying to be something different than what everyone else uh, is. The, Jeff is good. He just took a yes or no question and turned it into a two-minute thing and did not give you an answer. And just spun it around the corner talking that about Mexico and passports and everything. He knows exactly what's going on. Jeff, that was awesome. And I tell you what, man, I, we've, we've kept you on for way too long. And I'll let Dennis and Demetrius say something, say goodbye. And we greatly appreciate it. And I could sit here and talk to you, like I said, for hours and hours and hours. Because everything that you said is just like so, it just keeps you captivated. It's like more, more, more. Um, but thank you so much for being on. Um, best to you, yes, your family, you, and this whole. Awful. You guys too. Uh, no, this is. I mean, done. this is like the coolest thing in the world to us. And the way you just spun that on Dimitri right there was <laughs> awesome. Um, but no, thank you so much. And will you come back on, Jeff? Yeah, I'd love to come back on. And like I said, if we if we don't end up hooking up before this thing gets back to normal, if we're ever in a town that you guys are in or around, never hesitate. And you know, I'll love to meet up with you guys. No, nah, please do. I'll have I'll have Dennis give you my info, and I'm sure Demetrius he can give us uh, give you the info that I would love to come out and meet you face to face. And yep. And if you guys are ever in Detroit area, you know, me and Dennis will take care of you. That's well, Demetrius is huge in Detroit. Uh, I, I'm a yeah, I, right. Yeah, I'm <laughs> older. Hey, you what? Uh, you, you Demetrius big in Detroit. He yeah, walked like out of the airport and stuff when he like, the, like people, it's like the Beatles. It's like the Beatles. <laughs> it's like the time. It's like the time I had the Rock with me, and then we went to a gas station. That's how Dimitri is. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa! You got to send us home on that story then. Yeah. So um, back in the '90s, wrestlers from WWE were still allowed to take independent bookings, and D'Lo Brown had come up with us. 
uh, and signed with WWE in like 97, but he was wrestling for us locally here from like 95 to 97. And uh, it was one of those things where he owed uh, Scott DeMore a favor. So we had a big show coming up and we thought, let's just see if we can get The Rock to come, like if he'd even do it, you know? And we had uh, D'Lo, you know, pull a buddy favor for The Rock and the uh, WWE offices cleared it and the whole nine yards. And it was going to be like The Rock was coming to Windsor and we were so excited and a uh, week before the show, there was a big show in Toronto. It was the night that, I don't know if you guys remember this, um, Edge won the Intercontinental title on a house show from Jeff Jarrett in Toronto and then lost it the next night at a pay-per-view. Well, we were there that night in Toronto, the night that Edge won, and we were sitting up in the, um, you know, the, 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 what do they call those? Suites Sky up Fox in, uh, suite. the suite up in uh, Skydome. And right in the middle of the Rock's match, you just hear the entire crowd gasp. And I remember someone turned to Scott and said, whatever you do, don't turn around, because the Rock's laying in the middle of the ring holding his knee. And this is the week before we have him oh. coming to our show. Ooh. So we're like, and we've already sold, like, you know, we're, this is around the time we were drawing, like, you know, two, 250 people. And now we've sold, like, 1,500 tickets because the Rock's going to be there. And now we're shitting ourselves because we just watched the Rock rolling around gripping his knee. So he said oh. that he'd still be able to do it, but it would probably have to be a tag match instead of a singles match. So we ended up doing a tag match instead, and he said he would basically just take a hot tag and do people's elbow and send the crowd home happy. But he got there, and the crowd was so ruckus that he uh, he wrestled the match like full anyway because he just you know how it is the adrenaline kicks in and you forget that you got a fucked up knee. Yep. And he went out there and he, he gave everybody in that crowd their money's worth. And it was like maybe three days later, the WWE announced no more uh, wrestlers doing uh, independent bookings. So we hmm. literally had the very last WWE wrestler on an indie show, and it was The Rock in 1998. And he was white hot at the time. He was in the Nation of Domination. And uh, we took him to the casino. We took him to McDonald's. I took him to the gas station. And everywhere we went, like you could tell this guy was going to be. Remember I talked earlier about how there's some people who are bigger than the wrestling business? You could mm -hmm. just look at The Rock, and you could tell this guy was going to be way bigger than the wrestling business. And he, well, he is kinda, like, kinda, what, the done biggest, it. biggest movie star in the world at this point. Wow. Jeff, here's how you can tell you might be one of our favorite guests. I know we told Elgin this yesterday. No, I told him last night, no, he's gone. But you are now the favorite guest of yay. all time. But, but this is how you can tell. You officially have the longest show that we've ever had. We've had all kinds of guests, big-name guests, and we keep it to under an hour. We're pushing an hour and 45 minutes with just Elder's you. cool, and I love him, but no. Sorry, dude. I said that last night, and you were last night. He just got his belt taken over by you. <laughs> he had it for, like, not even 24 hours. That's the... Uh... That's the second thing I've ever beat Elgin at in my entire life. I beat him at a game of horse down in Arlington, Texas, uh, late last year. That was athletically one of my highest uh, achievements of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm Love taking it. him over on this podcast. I think he's going to be my personal jobber. I'm going to bring him with me everywhere I go. All right. <laughs> Huge thank you to Jeffrey Scott for stopping by Wrestling With Sports to talk to Jason Kittle, Dimitri Young, and myself. All right, guys, this is the call to action part of the show where I kind of sit here and I ask you, the fans, for help. It's not money. 
We are not looking to take any of your money in any ways. I know there's a lot of wrestling shows out there that do Patreon and other things. We are not going to ever do that from, from you. But we are a fan-driven oriented show. We need your help to keep growing. And with that, I mean, if you know any casual wrestling fans or you know sports fans, because we all do know sports fans. We're all sports fans. Make sure they listen to the show. We are... We are a fan-subject-driven show. You have a subject, you have a topic, you have a quiz you want us to take. I don't care if it's the best friend's character. We'll take it. Shoot us an email with the link or if you, whatever topic you want us to talk about. If you even have a question, wrestlingwithsports at gmail.com. You can always have your voice heard on the show, 248-455-6565. Look, and I'm... Being truthful with you guys, we're one of the few shows that don't ask you for money that have a huge co big name co-host. Whether you're in Pittsburgh or Milwaukee, you know who Jason Kendall is. One of the last real hitting 300 catchers. A guy that is borderline Hall of Famer. Dimitri Young, the hair, if you're in Detroit, you, you look, he was part of the rebuilding process. Dimitri Young is not a no-name player, especially in Cincinnati. Uh, these are guys that are doing this because they love doing it. So help us out by telling your friends about the show. You rate, subscribe. Anywhere you get your podcast, that's where Wrestling With Sports is. You know, send it out to your Facebook friends. If you have a Twitter account, tweet this thing out. We can't grow without you, and we still plan on keeping the same. We'll talk some wrestling. We'll talk some sports. We'll try to get some fun guests in between, and... We'll give, we're working hard to give you guys what you want, but it takes feedback, and you have a phone number, you have an email address. Let us know what you think. As I said before, 248-455-6565, wrestlingwithsports at gmail.com. That's this week's Wrestling With Sports with a good friend, Jeffrey Scott. Guys, thank you. Oh, by the way, by the way, I know you're like, what, an hour and 45 minutes? Ah, it's got to go. If you know anybody that does music or makes music, we're really looking for a new bumper and theme song for the show. We would love to talk to you guys. So please send someone our way, wrestlingwithsports at gmail.com, 248-455-6565. Get out there, make the show popular so we can continue to do this on a higher level. Thanks, guys. Dennis Farrell.